chapter uh, 55 by then. I'm going to read it through. It's only 13 verses, and then we'll come back and go verse by verse. If you find it, let me know with an amen, guys. Amen. Thank you. I'm going to put on my old man glasses. Chapter 55, Isaiah, it says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk, without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for what is not bread, and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good. And let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. The sure mercies of David. Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people. A leader and commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know. And nations who do not know you shall run to you. Because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down, and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out with my joy, with joy, and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree, and it shall be the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Amen. Um, if you wanted to title this, um, this passage, this chapter of Isaiah 55, you could either call it an, an invitation to the abundant life, or a call to salvation. Just to give you guys a little bit of background, an introduction. Uh, this took place uh, between 700 and 760 B.C., before Christ. Okay. If you remember, um, in chapter 53, there is a very extensive and detailed prophecy of, of the Lord Christ by Isaiah, by God through Isaiah. But Isaiah here is speaking to us, obviously, but mainly he's speaking to the people of Israel, the Hebrew nation. Okay? 
These are the people chosen of God, guys. Chosen of God. Um, there are people that were chosen through the covenant with Abraham. There are people that were blessed by the government of Joseph in Egypt. But there are also people who fell into slavery for 400 years after Joseph. Then there are people that after that were liberated by Moses, who guided them through the desert, right, to the promised land. Unfortunately, there are also a people that after being led into the promised land by Joshua, went back to their old ways. They went back to idolatry, to spiritual adultery, to misbehavior, to all kinds of fornication and things of the world. And they abandoned the things of God. And when it, what ends up happening? Now, once again, they're put into exile and they're captured by Babylonian, the Babylonian Empire. That's where they're at right now. Okay? A 70-year exile in captivity to the Babylonians and their empire. And Isaiah is raised up by God to talk to them to make this invitation known. Verse 1, it says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come by and eat. Yes, come by wine and milk without money and without price. It's a, it's a funny way to start a, a, a conversation, a, fu a funny way to, to direct yourself to a group of people, right? But I imagine Isaiah, when he says, Ho! He's saying, listen up, take heed, I'm going to say something very important. I could imagine him, doesn't say where he's at, we could imagine him perhaps on a hillside, perhaps in a city square, perhaps somewhere where people are going to listen. And he says, ho, hey, listen up, people, right? He says, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. What is a thirst? It's a desire, a desire to be quenched, a desire to be satisfied. Okay? He's saying, first of all, if you desire, if you thirst, come to the waters. That's the same thing the Lord has told us. When we were dead spiritually and in drought and in ex exile, the Lord spoke up to us. If it wasn't through... Through his word, it was by, by a brother, through a prayer, through a confrontation, through a testimony, someone else. But we were called and we were asked, do you thirst? Do you desire? And that's what Isaiah is doing here with the people of Israel. A people that, like I, I, I repeat, by their own decision, by their own reckless way of life, have just driven themselves into slavery. Yet again, yet again. So, ho, everyone who thirst, come to the waters. In John four fourteen, it says as follows. Let me read that to you again. Thank you, Jesus. It says, 
And this is Jesus speaking, okay? In verse 13, it says, Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a foundation, a fountain, excuse me, of water springing up into everlasting life. So uh, Jesus, in that particular passage, is making an invitation for people to dive into the spiritual, to dive into the things of God. And that's what Isaiah is doing here. He's saying, do you guys really thirst? Do you really desire? Seek a water that's going to create new life in you. Okay? Come to the waters. And he also says, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. He's saying the table is set. Come and eat. Come and enjoy. It's, it's a metaphor, really, for the spiritual things of life. Because no doubt these people were able to eat. They were able to drink water. But we got to think beyond the, the, just the obvious and know that he's making a spirit, trying to make a spiritual awakening in these hearts. He says, come by and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Those were two stable items in the Jewish culture back then, wine and milk. And he's asking them to come and buy without money. What is, what is that? Without money. It's symbolic of our salvation. Can we earn our salvation? Can we buy it? Not at all. Not at all. And that's what Isaiah is telling them right here. Without money, you can come and enjoy the best things of God, a relationship with God, the spiritual things, the real things, the things that matter, not the things that pass away, but the things that are forever. Verse 2, it says, Why do you spend money for what is not bread? and your wages for what does not satisfy. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good, and let your soul delight itself in abundance. That's, that's, that's something. It, it's, it's so um, captivating. It's special. He says, why do you spend money for what is not bread? What does that mean? He's saying you guys are, are fanatical about life. Your anxiety is to a high level because you can't afford the things of life. He knows we have bread. We, we have sustenance, but he's speaking of another sustenance, a sustenance that money can't buy. Uh, tell me if I'm lying. Don't we just get full of anxiety, we get um, just nervous and, and downtrodden by the mere fact that we can't afford something. What do we do as typical Americans? Okay, We stress. But what gets us there? Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing 
better than having a good steady job. But when it you become a slave to it, instead of having it be your form for life, then there's a mistake going on. Okay? Um, we're always trying to keep up with the Joneses, right? We're trying to live beyond our means. We get up early to go to work, to come home late, to go to bed late, to get up early again. And it's a vicious cycle. It's a vicious cycle. Right? And Isaiah says, why do you spend money for what is not bread? Is that true bread, the bread of life? Is it going to take you to a deeper understanding, a deeper, deeper relationship with Christ Jesus? Not at all. I mean, we try to fill our, our stomachs with food that does not satisfy. And more importantly, we try to fill our hearts which are much less satisfied with what we feed them. We feed them our hobbies. We feed them um, our, our customs. We feed them the things we can gain, right? It, it's, it's a real, I can see it. I can see it. I, I don't want to step on any toes, okay, but I'm going to go ahead and mention it. I, I go on Facebook quite a bit to, to follow my friends, right? And I see, man, I go, these guys are always doing something. They're always going somewhere. They're always buying something. They're always doing this. They're always doing that. That's cool. Perhaps it's my envy. But to me, there are more simple things in life to enjoy. My family, my friends. I mean, if people nowadays don't go to Disneyland 18 times a year, they don't go once. You know what I'm saying? To them, it's like the nickel arcade when we were growing up. We went to the arcade. There used to be an arcade, uh, a miniature golf right here on Garvey. Big golf tall guy. You remember him? I used to go there as a kid. That was my, my diversion. That was my fun. But I see people, grown adults, going to Disneyland, I mean, once and twice a week sometimes. And there's nothing wrong with that if you can afford it. But what, what kind of... Um, Space or void are we trying to fill with that? And it gets worse. People got to, they got to take a cruise every year, right? They got to go to Europe every year. And I desire to do those things. But then I say, but is it going to satisfy me in the end? Okay, I've been to Alaska. I've been to Ixtapas y Guatanejo. But if I hadn't gone, I don't think I would have missed much. You know what I'm saying? It's all enjoyable. It's all beautiful, great memories. But when you start putting those things in front of the Word of God and in front of a relationship with God, and we try to have those things fill our hearts, we're going in the wrong direction. And uh, perhaps that's a bad example, because maybe all you guys are tourists, and I didn't know it. But we need to... Seek the deeper things of God, to have a relationship with him. And that's why Isaiah is telling these people, why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? I mean, people strive. They work hard. They go through anxiety just so they can have that brand new. You put, put, the, put the object in there. For me, it would be a... a, a 
uh, GMC Sierra pickup, right? But, you know, if I can't have it, oh, well. But if my son gets me one, I'll take it, right? <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? We, we, our prerogatives are slightly twisted. Like I say, man, if you go to Disneyland every, every week, invite me one of these days. Maybe I won't think the same way anymore. But you know what I'm saying. I mean, we got to have the newest uh, Jordans. Do these people still wear Jordans? I don't even know, right? That, that is, that's not what it's about. And that's what he's telling these people. He's saying, you guys, are, you, you're, you're, your priorities are all wrong. You've gone the wrong way. You're spending our money on, on stuff that doesn't satisfy. He says, listen carefully to me and eat what is good. And let your soul delight itself in abundance. Okay? He's referring to the spiritual things. Bad abundance. And I'll be the first to confess, I don't enjoy it as much as I should. My walk with the Lord, my devotional time with the Lord, my, my lifting up my family before the Lord should be a deeper thing. It should be a natural way of life. Praying should be a natural way of life. Um, there's a good teacher out there named John MacArthur. I don't particularly uh, listen to him a lot, but I remember reading one of his books a while back. It was on prayer. And in that book, he mentioned the fact that the environment we live in exudes our heart to pray the way the environment we live in makes our heart pump and our lungs work. That's how natural praying should be. We should be praying all the time, lifting up our brothers, getting closer to the Lord. Amen? And let your soul delight itself in abundance. And, it's, and, and he's not saying the Lord wants you to go do 100 push-ups, 20 Our Fathers, 88 Hail Marys, and the Rosary to be able to get back in a relationship. No. You don't have to do that. Just turn. You guys know what I mean by turn? Repent. Look towards God. He says, this is what you need to do. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and you shall live. The Lord is using, I love the way the Lord's talking to us through Isaiah. He's saying, hey, incline your ear to me. He says, listen to me. I've got something to say to you. It's not about religion. It's about being able to be with me, your father, to establish that relationship again. And I gave you the background of these people, right? They were horrible. They were spiritual adulterers, fornicators, abandoning the things of God after they had been saved from slavery and been the chosen people. We're in the same boat if we don't turn to God. But he's saying, turn to me. Just incline your ear. You don't have to perfect yourself before you come to me. That's a lie of the world. That's called religion. We can't better ourselves without God. We've got to come to him. Okay? Come to him. He says, incline your ear to me, and your soul shall live. That is just 
a very profound statement. He's not saying you're going to feel good. It's going to be yippee. No, he's going to say, he's saying your deepest, innermost part is going to be affected. You're going to be changed from the inside out. Okay, that's what he's saying. This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. Okay? He says, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. You guys know what a covenant means? An agreement, a deal. Okay? He's saying, this is what I'm promising you. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. The sure mercies of David. Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people. You guys know what the sure mercies of David is? Let's look it up, okay? Let's go to Samuel, 2 Samuel, chapter 7, verses 8 to 16. That way we we understand what, what he's saying. Samuel is in the Old Testament. That wasn't a joke. <laughs> but because uh, a lot of us have not read the whole Bible through, right? Second Samuel, chapter 7, verses 8 through 16. I'm going to read to you. These are the mercies, the pure mercies, the covenant with David, Okay. 2 Samuel 7, verses 8 to 16, it says, Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be a ruler over my people, over Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone. And have cut off all your enemies from before you. And have made you a great name. Like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel. And will plant them. That they may dwell in a place of their own. And move no more. Nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously. Since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel. And had caused you to rest from all your enemies. Also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you. The seed after him is, are all his descendants, including Solomon. And who else? Jesus, who is in the lineage of David. Okay? That's one of the pure mercies okay, that he's promised. He says, I will set up your seed after you, you will come from who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house, this is speaking of Solomon, for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Yeah, that would have to be Christ, because Solomon's kingdom could not be established forever since he was a man. Okay. But Jesus' kingdom will last forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, this is referring to Solomon, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. 
and your house and your kingdom shall be established <clears throat> forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. Anything that says forever in that passage is referring to Christ. Anything that shows compassion and tender mercies is actually showing compassion and tender mercies toward the lineage of, of David. He's saying, you've, you've messed up. Your son's going to be messed up, but I will never depart from you. That's the kind of God we serve. That's the kind of God that's reaching out to the people of Israel here in Isaiah 55. He, that's the kind of God that loves us. How many of us have arrived? How many of you are without sin? But how many of you are born again? You know Christ. We're redeemed. We no, longer, we no longer live in sin. We have occasional sin because we're in the flesh. We'll get angry. We'll get jealous. Someone crosses you on the road and you get angry and you say hello in a very nice way. But those are things from human nature. But there's a difference between sinning and living in sin. There's a difference between sinning and transgression. Transgression is when you sin knowing the consequences, knowing who has set the law and doing it anyway. And yet, if you ask for forgiveness, you're still forgiven. Did the people of Israel not know that they were transgressing the laws of God? They had the laws. They had the Ten Commandments that were given to Moses. They know they weren't supposed to um, adore or worship anyone but the true God, yet they did it. They transgressed. And yet, the Lord is still offering them this opportunity. That blows my mind. That blows my mind. If one of my boys goes against my will deliberately, I'm going to have a hard time saying, oh, it's okay, mijo. You guys know what I'm saying? But God is that way, and we need to learn to be that way. But we can't abuse grace. Let's go back to chapter 55 of Isaiah, guys. speaks a little bit about David. He says, Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel. <coughs> Let's look at Zechariah chapter 8, verses 22 to 23. Zechariah is still in the Old Testament. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us continue to go and pray before the Lord and seek the Lord of hosts. I myself will also go. Yes, many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts, where? In Jerusalem, and to pray before the Lord. Why is that going to happen with these, this Jewish nation? Because God is going to glorify himself in them, to the point where people will say, we got to go worship the God of Israel. we got to go worship with the people of Israel because we see that he is real. 
we see the changes that he's made in those people. We see how he glorifies himself in them. And it's the same exact way with us. We come to the Lord. There's a change in our hearts. We start living differently. We shine instead of grime. Right? We give a good example. We give a good testimony. We're loving and forgiving and compassionate. Not without fault, but bathed in the Spirit of God. There will be a point in your life where people will come to you and say, Andrew, what's what's going on? I want to have what you have. They'll go to Brother Richard and say, what did you eat? Why are you always smiling? Why are you always in such a good, good mood? We know you've gone through tragedy. Why? Because Christ is in him. In the same way, Isaiah is telling Israel, he's telling the Hebrews, Nations will come to you to worship your God. He says, surely you shall call a nation you don't know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Verse 6, it says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. That's a call to attention. That's a call to look up instead of down. That's a call to look for Jesus' face. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Why? Is he going to disappear? No. The truth being that when we make a relationship with God, we're the ones that walk away. Again, remember the prodigal son? He had it all with his father. Did his father chase him away from the house? No, he decided he had had enough and he was going to get what he wanted and he took off. This nation is a prodigal nation. The Lord's calling them back. And they've had to go through some struggles the same way that prodigal son went through. That prodigal son went and spent his money and and his, his inheritance on wild living, on prostitutes, on things that were of the flesh, buying bread, right, that wasn't really sustenance. And what happened? Finally, finally, in his, his um, downtroddenness, he said, man, I don't have nothing. I don't have anything. I've reached the bottom. I've reached the pit. I'm going to come to my father's house. Man, right now, I wish I could have the slop that those pigs are eating. That's what he said. And Israel has gotten to that point many times in its, in its history. We pray that they turn around now and start looking for the Messiah. Sooner or later they will, but the sooner the better. Amen? Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. That's the message to us. Don't walk away from him. You hear a word once and it touches your heart, react. It's so difficult. I, I listened to the gospel for five years, just ignoring it and being prideful and saying I knew what I was talking about and knew what, knew what I was doing. And when I finally came to the Lord, I said to myself, man, what was I doing? What was I arguing? Why didn't I come the first time? And that's my message to you. As soon as you feel 
that palpitation, as, you, as soon as you feel that warmness in your heart, as soon as you feel convicted and wrong about sins that you're committing, give your life over to Christ. Don't wait. Don't wait. And it goes on to say what I'm saying now. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. That means turn. Turn away from your sin, right? I could hear Billy Graham saying, Turn from your sin. The Bible says, Turn from your sin. You remember him saying that? Well, that's what the Bible's saying now, okay? He's saying we should all turn from our sin. Let the wicked forsake his way, leave that old life, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Verse 8, for my thoughts, this is God speaking, okay? For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Why is God saying this? Because as human beings, we have this tendency to doubt, right? We doubt on God's grace. Oh, that can't be right. How, how can he actually accept me? I'm a jerk. That can't be. No, not. And people, after being a Christian, a Christian for five, six years, they're still saying, I don't understand. What do you want me to tell you? What do you want me to tell you? God's thoughts, God's ways are so much higher than ours. Like the difference between the earth and the sky. How big a difference is that? The sky keeps going, right? It's a big difference. Yeah, I've talked to people who say, I can't accept it. The Lord forgave me. That's why it's called grace, guys. You didn't deserve it. It was unmerited. What you did deserve was condemnation, right? And he didn't give you that. That's called compassion. Then he gave you something else, his love. That's called grace because we didn't deserve it. That's why he's saying, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. If you can't understand it, why he would love you, <laughs> no one understands it. Accept it. He loves you. Accept it. He's giving you an opportunity. He's not saying... Go change your way of living before you come to me. He's saying, come to me, repent, and come to me, and I will change you. I will give you a new life. So his thoughts are so different from ours, guys. Way different. Now let's get, in, get into his word. It says, in verse 10, it says, For as the rain, this is symbolizing the word, For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. That means that the Lord speaks. The Lord speaks through his word. The Lord has spoken through his prophets. Some people say, 
it's all just religion. No. No. It's like snow coming down from the sky. It's like water coming down from the sky. Can you possibly cover the earth from not receiving that? No. Sooner or later, it's going to fall in a place where there isn't a hard rock. And it's going to raise up fruit. It's going to raise up trees. It's going to raise up flowers. And that's who we are right now. Those of us who have believed in Christ, the water rained. The, the word came. It took hold. For some of us, it took longer than others. But it took hold. It doesn't go and come back void. It produces fruit. Right? In the same way that a head of wheat dies and produces more wheat, the word came. Okay, the word came and took hold in us. It took root in us. It doesn't go back. It does what it's meant to do. Have you guys walked around the area in the hills right now? Just that little bit of rain we had a month ago or so has made everything green and beautiful. The water does its job. And that's what Isaiah is saying here. God's word does its job. It doesn't turn around and go back void. It never leaves us with an empty heart if we listen. The Lord's amazing. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. And in in closing, guys, these last two verses, it says, For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth in singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. It's getting real poetic, huh? Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree. And instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. That means it's going to be giving testimony of the Lord forever. But these last two verses are talking about restoration. About taking that dried up heart, that hardened heart, that those blind eyes and that hardened head, and doing a work. Where there was drought... He will bring up a cypress. Where there were nettles and thorns, where there was cactus and tumbleweeds, he will bring forth fruit. That will be our time of restoration. And we will give testimony of that with our lives. And in so doing, we're going to be giving glory unto the Lord. That's what this is talking about. His name will be exalted because of what he's done in us. Right? So whenever you think you've done something amazing, give the glory unto God. Right? When my brother Angel comes up here and sings, you can say, man, Angel, you got a voice on you. But he should say, glory be to God. Right? Restoration. Our lives have been changed. We're going to be giving God the honor and the glory always. So this is just an amazing passage. Don't you guys think? That he could speak to a people that were so far gone, so lost in spiritual adultery and idolatry and fornication that they ended up being slaves again. He still speaks to them as if they were his children. And we all are. It's just a matter of wanting to accept him as a father again. Amen?